If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, if you don't, you can turn on page 6. We have the scripture printed with a place to take notes on page 7. We're going to be looking just at two verses today. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 and 3. So give ear. This is God's word. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is God's word. Well, folks... We have a problem, okay? Something is, is wrong. Last week, as we finished preaching through our worship service, we heard that as far as Jesus is concerned, our purpose in life is to make disciples. Jesus sends us out to make disciples of all the nations, which really just means help other people to know and follow Jesus. That's the unifying purpose in the life of every Christian. The problem is, who has time? Right? Think about it. How much time did you have last week to spend discipling other people? Making disciples of the nations. Life is busy. Right? It's crazy busy. There's so many things that crowd in for our time and attention. There is no time for anything. You know, work seems like it takes longer and longer and longer. So we have less and less time before and after work to actually try to slow down and enjoy life. Right? Then when, with that diminished time that's left over, we get nickel and dime to death, right? There are bills to pay, right? There are wor- there's work to do around the house, around the home. There's finances. And then you have this inbox that never, ever seems to be empty, right? Email kills us. And then you get things like Facebook, which sound like this amazing thing, but then it's, just, it's more and more time, right? You know, life is crazy busy, And then what suffers most? I mean, it's relationships, right? The thing that suffers most is relationships. Our family, our friends. When was the last time you slowed down and just enjoyed being together with someone else? So the problem is life is busy. But then you think about all of that, Where does religion fit in? I mean, how do you fit into the busyness of life? How in the world do you fit in time for a relationship with God? Good night. I mean, I had one person, um, one person said this, sometimes I don't even know that I'm running on an empty tank. (laughs) I feel like I'm coasting and relying on momentum from my last spiritual high. He says it takes months just to figure out that he's even doing that. Am I speaking to anybody here? (laughs) So into this mess, the Bible speaks. I mean, isn't it great to know that the Bible actually has something to say about this? And the Bible speaks and we get to hear. The Bible says in these verses that we've looked at, it says, look, you have one love. You have one love. That's the message today. I've got one point in my sermon because you have 
one love. Okay, here's the point. Your love for Jesus is so important, you need to experience it daily. That's my point. You have one love. Verse 3 talks about a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the point is, your love for Jesus is so important that you need to experience it every day. When we think about what does this mean? What is a love for Christ? Well, it's devotion. That's what the word is. That's the word in the, in the text, verse 3. It's a devotion to Christ. Okay, so being a Christian, it doesn't just mean that Jesus is part of your life. Okay, he's like a Facebook friend who you get his updates and that's about all you do. You check him every now and again and just see, oh, what's Jesus up to? Oh, that's nice. Oh, nice picture. Jesus. You know, that's not what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you have a devotion to Christ. I looked it up in the dictionary. A devotion, to be devoted to something means that you have an eager affection and dedication. Eager affection and dedication to Christ. So think about it today. Are, are you devoted to Christ? Do you have this devotion to Jesus? If other people looked at your life and saw the way you spend your time, the things that you do, would they conclude that you have a devotion to Christ? You know, this devotion, this one love that's more important than everything else, right? That Paul describes it as two things. He says it's sincere and it's pure. Okay, this, this is helpful for us to think about this, that our devotion to Christ is sincere and pure. What that means, it means real and deep. Okay, it means real and deep. There was one author who wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline that talks about the disciplines of the Christian life and how to celebrate those. And he said this, he said, um, superficiality is the curse of our age. Everybody is superficial. Everybody is surface level. He says the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. That's what we need. We need people who genuinely love Jesus. Okay, this doesn't mean that they're perfect. Okay, it doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they're sincere. Their love for Jesus goes deep and it's experienced every day. A sincere and pure devotion is part of who you are. It's part of who you are. And so, now, when I say that we have one love, let me be clear. Okay, this doesn't mean that you don't love other things, right? You love your family, you love your neighbors, you love your job, you love dessert, right? Lots of things that we love, okay? Um, Even Harbor's description of what a mature Christian life looks like, our discipleship plan has how many loves? How many loves in the discipleship plan? Three, three, right? You love Christ, you love the church, you love the world, okay? So I'm not saying that you don't love anything else. What I'm saying, though, is that this love, this one love, this love for Christ takes priority, okay? It is the priority in your life. We were talking about this this week in our family Bible time, and, uh, you know, I said we have one love, and the kids said, well, what about? (laughs) what about everything else? Daddy, what about loving family? What about loving your neighbors? And I'm like, okay, all right. Yes, you're right. Yeah, very smart. Way to go. Um, And so we explained this, this notion that it takes priority. And it was great because one of the kids said, oh, 
it's like the Trump. It's like a Trump card, you know, because they've played different games. You play spades, you play Pinocchio, you play bridge, whatever it is, right? You have Trump cards. Trump cards, you put that card down and it wins everything, right? That's what our love for Jesus is. When you're forced to choose between loving Jesus versus loving something else, Jesus always wins. Your love for him trumps everything else. It trumps your feelings. It trumps your desires. It trumps your career. It trumps your schedule. Jesus is the the love for Jesus. That's the trump. And this is all part of what it means to have a devotion that's real and goes deep into your being. That you would actually make decisions that, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I love Jesus when I'm here on Sunday, right? It's, you know, when it's easy, that doesn't always show a depth to your love for Jesus. But when it's hard, it's when other things are competing, right? When other things want your attention, want your desires, want your, your devotion. That's when you learn. That's when you, that's when you get to, you sort of get a measure, but that's when you have a chance to say and demonstrate that your love for Jesus is the most important love in your life. That you have a sincere and pure devotion for Christ. And we see how important this is. Look what Paul says. Paul opens his heart here in verse 2. Uh, and this is the heart of a pastor. Right? He says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That's Paul's heart. It's my heart for you as your pastor. Paul had taught these folks to be Christians. And he comes with this image and he says he, he led them in a relationship to Jesus. And so the picture here is that Paul feels like, okay, the church is the bride. Jesus is the groom. And Paul is like the dad. Paul's the father of the bride. And back then in that culture, they had arranged marriages. So the father would pick who his daughter would marry. And Paul is saying, I chose Jesus to be your husband. I promised you to him. You are engaged, in a sense, is what he's saying. You are engaged to Christ. And I am committed on that day, when you walk down the aisle on that last day to meet Jesus face to face, I want to present you as a pure virgin to him. That's Paul's heart. That's my heart for you. I want to present each one of you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now, that brings up an objection, right? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I hear pure virgin, that counts me out. That's how I felt this week. I was like, really? Shoot, where does that leave me? <clears throat> it may be in the area of your sexuality that you're not a pure virgin. But there are lots of other areas. You know, Paul is using a metaphor here. He's not just talking about sexuality, although he is talking about that. There's all, all kinds of other areas where you haven't been purely devoted to Jesus. Right? I think if we're honest, we can see that in all of us. And, you know, I know some of you, when you hear this stuff, you feel like you're counted out. You know, maybe some of you, you came back to church because you know you need Jesus, but you also know what you've done. And hearing something like this makes you feel like, wow, well, that's not me. 
I'm out. If that's where you are, please remember that when Paul describes the devotion to Christ, he says it's both pure and sincere. It's pure and sincere. And look, it's not that, it's, it's not that our sincerity saves us, but our sincerity is what makes us honest when we fail. Okay, so part of being devoted to Christ is having honest confession when we fail. That's what keeps us clean. Okay, if you have not been a chaste, pure virgin for Christ, then Jesus would say, you need to confess your sins and let me wash you again. Let me cleanse you again. Sincerity doesn't mean perfect. It just means being real. That's one thing to say that, but maybe you want proof. Maybe you don't believe me. You don't trust me. Because you just see pure virgin. You say, that's what the text says, and I'm out. Let me give you a, a biblical example. You know, if you have failed to love Jesus, right? If you have rejected him, if you have ignored him, if you have told him to get lost in your life, if you've lived your life completely apart from him, maybe you've rejected him. Do you want to know how Jesus reacts? Jesus will come to you. He will look you in the face. You might not even feel like you can look at him, but you know what he'll do? He'll turn his face toward you. He'll get in front of you, and if you still can't look up, he'll gently hold you by the chin and draw your gaze to meet his. And at that moment, he will look at you with tears right behind his eyes. And you know what he says? He will ask you, do you love me? That's what he asks. Do you love me? This is what Peter, uh, what Jesus did for Peter. Peter, who <laughs> promised up one side down the other that he would never fail Jesus, that he would always be pure and devoted to him, and yet he failed. And he just failed once, but he failed three times. He denied even knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus came back and found Peter, looked him in the eye, and said, Peter, do you love me? Every time you fail, every time you sin, the way that Jesus ends the reconciliation process is by looking you in the eye and asking, do you love me? And when he asks that, he's not saying, he's, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying, look, you don't really love me because look at what you did. Okay, because sometimes that's how it feels, right? Do you love me? Well, and that's kind of what was going through Peter's heart. Because if you read, well, that's another story, never mind. But that was going through what Peter was dealing with. But Jesus is not saying, you don't really love me because look at what you did. He's not asking it, assuming a negative answer. Okay, what Jesus is saying is, he's saying this. He's saying, I know what is really in you. I know what is in your heart. And I want to give you a chance to tell me what you feel inside. Even in light of what you did, I want to give you a chance to tell me what's inside. 
You love me, don't you? That's what Jesus is saying to you today. If you feel like you haven't been a chaste virgin, if you have not been purely and sincerely devoted to him. Peter's response was, Lord, you know all things. You know that I do. And Jesus' response then was, Peter, then I want you to feed my sheep. Because now, finally, you understand grace. Finally, you understand that it's not about what you do. It's about what I have done for you. And now, Peter, because you've experienced this, I want you to tell the world. Tell the world what I have done for you. Help them experience this love that you've experienced. Going back to this image of Paul betrothing us to one husband, if you're here and you've never been a Christian before, it's, 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 like, it's like this text is giving me a wedding garment to offer you. If you want to be married to Jesus, if you want a relationship with him that is close is as close as a husband and wife. If you want him to shed his love all over your life, will you take the garment? Will you accept Jesus' proposal and believe in him? And if you are a Christian and you haven't been purely and sincerely devoted to him, will you renew your vows today? Just say right now in your own heart, Jesus, yes, I love you. That's what it is. That's, that's, that's pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And I mean, what's remarkable is that <laughs> we, this passage is about us loving him, being devoted to him. And yet the moment that you take a step in the direction of being devoted to Jesus what hits you in the face is, wow, how much he loves you. It's, it's amazing. It's remarkable. It's, it's Jesus. This is why we say the gospel changes everything. I mean, this changes every relationship that you have. This changes every way that you respond in every situation. If you have a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, that his love trumps everything, that you love him more than anything else in the world, changes how you treat your family, changes how you treat your coworkers, changes how you treat your customers, changes how you act in your marriage, changes everything. Changes everything. And we need this daily. See, what Paul is talking about, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, the one point is that you have to experience this daily because we are attacked on all sides. We are bombarded with things that lead us astray from this devotion. That's what Paul says in verse 3. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul's worried. He knows. He knows you can have this amazing experience in a worship service on Sunday where you draw near and you feel so close and then yet you walk out or the next morning you wake up and it's gone. 
So Paul, we have to experience this love of Jesus daily. And we have to be on guard because the serpent, way back in the beginning, deceived Eve by his cunning and still continues to try to deceive each and every one of you. Okay, you think about uh, the deception in the garden. It wasn't just about eating fruit. Okay, if you think it was just about eating fruit, that sounds so silly in a sense, right? It wasn't just about eating fruit. It was about questioning the goodness of God. That's what was going on. The servant was saying, you need to be suspicious of this God who gave you these rules. He actually said, you won't die if you eat this fruit. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. The serpent cast doubt on the goodness of God, made God sound like this sort of power-mongering, authoritarian tyrant. God doesn't want what's good for you. He knows if you eat that, you'll become like him, and he doesn't want that. That's how the serpent works. He causes us to question the goodness of God, and he still whispers these lies into our ears today. You know, it's not bad to mistreat people to get ahead in your career. It's just how business is. There's nothing wrong with being selfish. Someone has to make sure that your needs are being met. And nobody else really understands the needs that you have. It's okay. You're not going to die if you do this. These are the lies. And the worst part is, see, when we give into those lies, we think we're getting something. What we really get is brokenness. Our lives fall apart. Okay, And if they don't fall apart, you should be more concerned when you do the wrong thing and nothing happens. Okay, Because when, when everything falls apart, then it's like the alarms go off, you realize this is wrong, you experience the consequences, then you, kinda, you come back and you restore. When you don't experience the negative consequences of your actions, though, that's dangerous. That's dangerous because when you think you can get away with it, oh man, you just keep doing it. And so it's bad because you actually increase the amount of brokenness in your life. But what's worse is that these things lead you astray from your love for Jesus. When you give in to selfishness, when you give in to um, just worrying only about yourself, putting your needs ahead of others, um, you drift from Jesus. That's not his heart. And when you do those things, you're cutting yourself off from him. You're cutting yourself off from him. And the only way to really be, to combat the cunning of the serpent is to fill your life with the daily experience of your love with Jesus. So how do we actually grow this love? Right, think about that. Paul says, I betrothed you to Jesus. How do we grow in that love? Well, it's kind of simple. Love Jesus more than anything else. Just commit to that. Okay? Tell yourself, I love Jesus more than anything else. That's kind of where it starts. It doesn't have to get more complicated. Just say, I'm in. Jesus, Paul has betrothed me to you. We're engaged. I'm in. Okay? It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. And you can say that. Jesus, I'm going to do my best here. I'm going to love you with all that I have knowing, you know, knowing that you know (laughs) the difficulties that we encounter. But if you feel, 
if you feel this way, then just say it to yourself, I love Jesus more than anything. I mean, that's, that's the beginning of it. And then from that, you want to spend time with him every day. Okay? You, just, you want to spend time with Jesus every day. You know, if you have a relationship with him, you love him, spend time with him. You know, and spending time looks different to different, kind, you know, to different people. Right? There's different ways to think about spending time with Jesus, but it's, I think the best way, like at its simplest form, spending or having a relationship with Jesus, growing your love for Jesus, involves a spiritual breathing. Okay? It's a spiritual breathing. You breathe in his word and you breathe out your prayers. Okay? That's, I mean, at, at its simplest form, that's what you need to do. You breathe in his word and you breathe out your prayers. In and out, in and out, every day, in and out. Breathe in his word, breathe out your prayers. You know, his word comes here. It's the Bible, right? I mean, it's this book. I know it's big. <laughs> I know it's hard to read. There's some parts of it. Even Peter had trouble with some of the things Paul wrote. So you're in good company if you have trouble reading it. But the Bible tells us what Christ is like. It tells us who Jesus is. Right? Um, it, it tells you how to show your love for him. The Bible teaches you things that you'd never think of on your own. You know, calls to, to have faith stretching your faith, looking to serve people, that when you serve people, it actually loves Jesus. You know, and then with prayer, prayer tells, tells Christ what you think, right? The word gives us Christ's thoughts. Prayer gives Christ our thoughts. You tell him how you think. You tell him how you feel. You tell him what you want to do and what you'd like to see him do in your life. It's, it's really a conversation. You're talking to Christ and he listens and he answers. There's a promise, Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's kind of interesting. He'll reward you. When you pray in secret, at least, I mean, I would say praying probably beyond that too, but at least here, when you pray in secret, God will reward you. And the reward of God, he helps you understand him better. He answers your prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. And then he prompts you with thoughts and ideas that lead and guide you. I mean, that's how it works. This is really, I think, the major part of sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, it's scripture and prayer. This is the main way that you grow your relationship with Christ. It's how you cultivate a heart of love for Jesus this devotion to him. And so every day you want to read some of the Bible, okay? If it's one verse, if it's one chapter, if it's a whole book, if you have the time, I mean, whatever it is, read some of the Bible, think about it. Like, what is this saying? What is this calling me to do? And then pray. Jesus, I think that this is true about you from this verse. Jesus, I think this is true about me from this verse. Jesus, this is what I'd like to see happen in my life because of understanding this verse. Um, You walk through that. Ask him to enable you to put it into practice in your life. And that's how it works. That's how it works. As you do that, your relationship with Christ will grow. Okay, now, the moment that I say, 
spend time with Jesus every day, objections come flying up. I, I know there are, there are problems that people struggle with. Um, and, and so I just want to hit a couple of objections. You know, there are times when reading the Bible and praying are incredibly enjoyable, right? When it's fun, when it's really meaningful. And then there's times where it feels like you pick up the Bible and it's like you're reading Greek and Hebrew, right? You read a chapter and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. Or I could tell you the words, but I got no clue what it means, right? Or how I put this into practice. And you think, man, I'm just going to wait till I get to church on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I get that. Sometimes, and sometimes it's just a drudgery to think about doing it, right? You, you maybe want to want to do it, but you don't want to do it. You know, it feels like the exercise that you don't have the time or the energy for. Right? I mean, I felt that way all the time. I mean, I'm a pastor and I wake up and what hits me usually is, okay, here's the to-do list, right? And I think, man, I can't take time to read the Bible and pray. I got work to do for the Lord. So and I got to fight that. I got to say, no, 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 Stephen, if you pick up your to-do list, you will not read your Bible or pray. So you need to pick up the Bible first. And so I've been, I've been doing that. I've been disciplining myself. I've been, and it's, and there are times when it's easy and times when it's really hard. Okay, so that's one thing that comes up. How do you deal with that? Well, then the other times, there, there are other times where you feel like other people are making you feel guilty because you aren't doing this enough. Right? And with that, like I've heard people say, look, back off. Like, I don't have to read the Bible to be saved. If that's how you feel, you're right. Absolutely right. You don't have to read the Bible to be saved. You don't have to read the Bible to earn spiritual points with God so that he'll save you. You already have God's approval if you're trusting in Jesus. So reading the Bible is not about earning favor with God. It's not about having to do something in order to be saved. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are saved. Let me read you from a translation called The Message. And these are the words of Jesus translated by Eugene Peterson. And there are parts of that translation that are just unbelievable. This is one of these places, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. Here's how Jesus would respond, according to Eugene Peterson, to these objections of the drudgery or the do I have to do this. Here's what Jesus says. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make, how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Richard Foster, I mentioned him earlier, he said this, joy is the keynote to all spiritual discipline. It's not the removal of laughter from the earth. It's good because sometimes it feels like it, right? I got to do this, man. He says, disciplines are liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. That's interesting. You discipline yourself, you experience joy and liberation. So really the answer, what these people are saying, when you don't want to or feel like you don't have to, it's to return to your first love. 
Okay, when Bible reading and prayer become a drudgery, remember, reading your Bible is about loving Jesus. That's what it's for. That's why you read the Bible, because you love Jesus. That's where you learn about him. And sometimes just remembering that, oh, wait, I'm reading this because I love you, Jesus. Sometimes that just reboots. It's like you turn off, you turn back on with a new attitude. Um, and so, and then, and then with prayer, it's the same thing. Prayer, it's not about, oh, if I just pray this way, I'll be this super spiritual person. It's, I want to talk to Jesus because I love him. When you remember your first love, it can change. It makes a huge difference. I had a story. Um, Lainey and I are this close to being completely finished closing on a house. Okay? We've, by God's grace, um, we're able to buy the house that's two doors away from us. And uh, the whole process has been this crazy set of miracles, um, starting with the fact that God gave us the down payment on the house. That's another story for another time, but it was incredible. Um, anyways, this house that we are uh, buying, it's been unoccupied for a few months. So in the backyard, as we've been looking at the house, interacting with it, looking, we're doing measurements, things like that, the grass, there's portions of the, of the grass in the backyard that, that are dying, okay? Because no one's taking care of it, right? The sprinklers, yeah, and so I, I realized that. I saw it at first, and then it started getting worse and worse. We've been in this process for a little over a month, and so, and, and I finally realized, like, I got to do something here, right? This, this, I don't want dying grass. I don't want dead grass. Move into a house with dead grass, right? That's not good. And so I went to the, try to figure out how to turn the sprinklers on, and there's some, I have no idea how to make the thing work. Like, it just, it, I can't get them on. And there's no, it used to be that you got the little spigot thing, you twist it, they come on, you turn it into, come, I don't know where the controls are. If you have sprinkler experience, you can come help me or whatever. But, so I'm getting concerned because the grass is dying. And so what I finally did was I just took a hose from our, from our house, and I brought it over to this other house, and I screwed it in and guess where I am just about every morning guess where I am just about every evening I'm standing in the backyard with a hose in a house I don't own (laughs) like this spraying the dead grass spraying the dead grass then wondering well shouldn't I be spraying the live grass so that it would grow into where the dead grass you know I mean and it takes me uh, I don't know 10, 15 minutes, really, if you're going to do a good job, right? So there I am, once a day, twice a day. There's a lot of dead grass. You know, do the job right. You've really got to water it. And let me tell you, I struggle doing this. I really do. You know, before I go, I think, you know what? I don't have time for this. I have this list. Part of the list now is packing up our house. Like, here I am. I'm going over like 30 minutes a day, morning. There's, you know, and, it's, and then when I'm there, I'm thinking about everything else that I could be doing. You know, but here I am with the hose, watering the grass. You get it, right? I mean, you understand. That's how we feel about our spiritual life. That's how we feel about reading the Bible, about praying. Well, sometimes when I think about the grass, I think about the dying grass. And then I think about the hope for something that's alive and green. You know, I think about that's why I'm going over there. That's why I'm standing there. Because my hope is this grass will grow. My hope is that the grass will come back to life. There'll be a resurrection that I can then preach about in some other sermon. You know, that's what I'm hoping for. And then when I actually see the difference that my watering is making, you know, because 
the grass actually is starting to grow back. I'm seeing little bits and pieces. I'm seeing the grass that's around the dead patches growing stronger, and I'm hoping it's going to grow in. You know, when I see that, I get excited. I honestly do. I get excited. I, I get fired up. And there are times when it's easy to go over and water because I know it's making a difference, right? I get excited about it when I, you know, because in thinking about it, I see the difference that it's making and that encourages me even more. I mean, that's, it's the same thing, right? With spending time with Jesus. I mean, that's what it's about. You know, there are people, you might feel this way. You feel like you don't need to read the Bible, You feel like you don't need to pray, but everybody, I mean, we all need guidance in our lives, don't we? We all need peace. We all need comfort. And and those needs that we have, those are things God has put in us so that we would realize that what we need is Jesus. What we need is Jesus. And so these are things that come when we spend time reading the Bible and praying. The image that the Bible gives us the vision the Bible gives us for what happens when we spend time daily experiencing our love for Jesus, it's not grass, but it's a tree. It's a tree. It's a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. It's described in Psalm Psalm 1. It's the very first psalm. It's a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth fruit season after season after season. Its leaf doesn't wither. And everything that it does prospers. That's the vision. When we seek the Lord, when we love Jesus and cultivate that love every day, we will feel his presence. We will bear fruit. We will not wither. And what we do will prosper. I mean, that's the promise. That's the vision for the life that we have when we know God, we know what he thinks, and when we're drawing near to him. And that affects everything else. That time that we spend with Jesus is the one thing that at the end of every day you don't regret spending. You know, that's that one big rock that if you do that, it really does affect everything else. That's why we want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he'll add all these other things back to you. Let's pray together. Jesus, you know our hearts. You know that we love you. And uh, and we just want to recommit that back. Loving you is the most important thing in our lives. You are our first love. And we just, we confess that we haven't loved you sincerely and purely as we ought. But we thank you that you see in our hearts and that we can be honest and real that in the midst of those things that draw us away from you, there is in us a love for you. We thank you for that. Thank you that your, that it's your work for us. It's your cross that shows us that you will continue to cleanse us even when we fail. Help us renew in us this devotion and help us to commit to loving you with all of our hearts and spending time with you. Give us that joy. Give us that joy. Help us to see you working in our lives so that we would be your disciples. 
And from that experience of grace, help us to share that with others. We pray this in your name. Amen.